Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. One day, there'll be a new introduction for this podcast. That day is not today. I am Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and he is Andrew Page, the straw man himself, the chief cook and bottle washer, the founder, the managing director, the bloke who does all the hard work, makes all the hard calls, and is driving a Lamborghini as a result. How are you, mate? <laughs> Pretty good. I, I, I'm hopeful for the day when the intro gets mixed up a little bit, but uh, <laughs> and I'm slightly Maybe bracing not. for what comes next. But yeah, I'm very good. How are you? Bracing for what comes. I can't imagine what I'm very well. I can't imagine what you're worried about. What what, what uh, is it that would, could possibly come next? You'd have to brace for. I, I'll try and preempt it as by saying um, I represent strawman.com. We're a private online right. investment club. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. I knew that. You don't have to tell me that. I've made. I, I, I've been paying attention. I know exactly what it is. Don't know why you would assume I would forget. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> listeners, can I, can, a bit of inside baseball. Can I say uh, our last episode on Friday went for a little bit longer than we thought because I stupidly asked a question that uh, opened a floodgate. Yeah, fifty-two uh, minutes then, in, you asked me about Bitcoin. There's a rookie. Well, it was error. supposed to be about the investment approach, but yes, it was a rookie error. And then subsequently, after the episode finished, we then spent another half an hour talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> so I saved you, and you're welcome as always uh, mate let's get let's get into it yep. um, a question from Chris hi long time listener first time caller thanks for all you do I have a question that is probably dumb I doubt it but I'm having a hard time squaring the circle so I'd love it if you could help me my understanding of why we are raising interest rates is that this effectively reduces the demand people have particularly those with mortgages who bear the brunt of those higher rates which reduces demand and therefore decreases inflation that all makes sense, says Chris. However, I also understand the US mainly has fixed rate mortgages, which are unaffected by interest rate rises. So in this case, how would this help curb inflation? Or are they using other methods to help with this? And if so, what are they? And why don't mm. we use them here? Not a great question. Thanks again, Chris. It's a really good question, isn't it? Yeah. You want to have to Yeah, I mean... I, mean, I think it's going to sound really stupid when you say the words out loud, but if you want to... <laughs> okay, good. Everyone sit up straight. Here we go. <laughs> if you want to sell a house, you need someone to buy it. So it doesn't matter what repayment terms you're on. The person who's coming in is going to need to, to fund that purchase. No one funds it with cash unless you're the mega rich. Yes, yeah, so everyone has to borrow. And the, <laughs> yep. the, 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 the buying power capacity of new people isn't, isn't what it was because, because of interest rates. So even in the US, there is going to be a wealth effect phenomenon where the yep. value of your house is, is just not going up as, as it, you may have expected it to. So that's, that's going to be very real. And it's not just about house prices, of course. It's about businesses as well. Business, the business sector is the other big borrower Smart. that is out there. And, and, and for the be- – I mean, gosh, I wish we did more business lending in Australia. We're, we're, we're geniuses here. And the only thing we can conceive of with debt capital is just to like put it into bricks and mortar. But, you know, <laughs> some places they actually like put it in productive enterprises, which, you know, increase the wealth. Um, yeah. Whatever enterprises we do, we just basically ship raw materials where someone turns it into more valuable stuff and then we buy it back at a premium. <laughs> so anyway, but so, so in, that, in that world, and a lot of companies have existing debt, uh, and they won't be on sort of fixed terms necessarily as 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 uh, mortgagees will. Uh, and uh, they're always looking to borrow new money for new projects, to expand, to do some R&D, to go into new geographies, to all these kinds of it all It all impacts. The, the question that you're really getting at though here is, is it fair and is it effective? And, and the answer to yeah. my mind is no, not at all. <laughs> but that's that, that's how it would be explained, I guess. Yeah, I, I like that answer, mate. I can't add much more to that. Um, I'm also on record as saying there should be more tools brought to bear to take your last point first. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it, it, I, I do I do like to add, just for fairness, that it's always been the way. So it's not like something new is being done to borrowers that wasn't being done to borrowers 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago with rates. The rates have been used as that tool forever. And so, well, not forever, but, you know, for the last 50 years. And so that's... You know, it's not new. It's equally unfair as it always was. It's not just unfair on this current generation, for example. It's just mm. it's the way things go. Um, and again, I will just say, I will just say, in the grand okay. arc of time, centrally controlled interest rates are a very new phenomena. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah, a century or so old, I suppose, right? Pretty much bang on. Pretty much bang on. And, and yeah. uh, I mean, there's always interest associated with money, but it's determined by the free market. Yeah. It's like, I've got some yeah. cash, you want to borrow it, let's work out a deal. Like, no, one, no one's, <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no uh, what do I call it, cabal of high priests there that, that figure it out <laughs> for us. Anyway, yeah. I, just, I just want to make that point because it is. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. We are in our own bubble in um, time and space. 
yeah, so I can't, I can't have much more to yours. Um, what I what I will say, Chris, is I actually I like our. I think our system is more flexible than the Yanks for that reason. Is it good that mortgage buyers are paying more for their mortgages than if they were in America? No. If you're paying a mortgage at a higher rate, you're thinking I'd rather be in America. Thank you very much. The other thing I think though is true is that it does mean hopefully and, and in theory. So you know, big difference in theory and practice, as we know. But hopefully, it means the RBA's uh, actions are actually more effective, both in terms of time frame and and impact because it does affect more people more quickly. If you think about the US, when, it, when we put up our rates, they put up their rates. As you rightly point out, it's only the new borrowers and some businesses. Here, it's almost every borrower and almost every business. Mm. So it just, it just means it's more effective more quickly, which and is actually, I think, a benefit for societally and economically. Individually, you'd probably rather be on a fixed rate, but there, there is that benefit. It, 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 I'd, I'd wager that it, what we have here actually makes for a more robust banking system as well. Yes. One of the, <laughs> this is always a problem. Well, not a problem. It's always a challenge, let's say. <laughs> but it only comes, only, we only get reminded of it every so often. We got reminded of it pretty recently with SVB and Credit Suisse. And that Good is point. effectively yeah. it comes back to things, um, what they call duration risk. Yeah. So you, you, you uh, borrow short, you lend long. So you're giving someone a 25-year mortgage Right, and you're funding that let's say with deposits, with which is on call, which could be with, withdrawn yeah, at yeah. any kind of time. So the Aussie banks at least have the advantage that so the U.S. banks make a make a loan at a very low rate. They're locked into that for 25 years. They've got to mm-hmm. they've got to make sure that they're hedged or or duration matched very effectively, so that that's never going to be a problem. And that's where right. problems do happen. Whereas Australia has a bit more uh, the, the, that that duration risk because of that phenomenon. I'd argue is probably less of a makes makes for a uh, more robust banking system. All else being equal, lovely. Let's uh, let's move on to another question. I like this question uh, partly because it's about one of my favourite services. Partly because it's a good question. It's from Morgan, who says, "Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Scott." And of course. Esquire page. Esquire <laughs> page. I like that. A couple of questions for the podcast. Uh, firstly, as a very amateur investor, mainly ETS, my wife and I, and both kids, four and two, I'm an avid listener of the podcast on the old podcast machine. See, another one they like, Andrew. <laughs> I have come to the realization I need to carry out better tracking of both purchase sales, not anytime soon though, and either DRP or direct credit payments for our holdings. I know Andrew uses ShareSite, but if one was to use Excel, what additional items should I be tracking? Oh. I've gone back through all purchases and DRP payments and recorded them into simple tables. But mm. I wonder if there's anything else I should track to make life simpler down the track and avoid potential issues with the old tax man. Uh, you're, you go on this one, right? Uh, no, doing the absolute right thing. You, you just you just want accurate records. Having a spreadsheet where it's all in one place is really nice. What company, what date, what purchase, what's the cost? What the tax man needs to know is the cost base. That's what, that's what all, all the calculations will be based on. And, yeah. and things like the capital gains discount, it depends on time. So when did you buy it? What did you buy it for? Just keep a record of that. Whether that was through a direct yep. purchase, whether it was through a Every capital raise, whether yep. it's through a dividend reinvestment plan. And when you get your dividends reinvested, they'll send you a statement for the details on it. Just keep it all in one place because, uh, as you are, you're not doing anything wrong because, you know, in 10 years' time, it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, you will be able to contact your broker and get all the statements. It's just an absolute nightmare. So those that keep consistent records and just update them as, as new information comes, I think we'll have a pretty easy time of it. Mm. Don't, don't yeah, need perfect, to use ShareSite. I'm, I'll happily say that. I, mean, I just do it because yeah. it's just easier. Yeah. <laughs> but it costs money, right, at the same time. Yeah. So, and so if, use if a spreadsheet. You're relatively semi, if you're doing relatively, relatively semi-regularly, small number of investments, yeah. not selling, there's not much to track. So, yeah, grab, make sure you grab your brokerage. Make sure the brokerage is included in that because that does come off your cost base. It's yep. important. Again, add to your cost base, I should say. So that's important. Um, the Yeah. Uh, Obviously, a DRP payment, um, they're two things, right? You've got a tax implication for the dividend when it's received, even if it's used to purchase more shares. That's in the current year. So if you get a $100 worth of dividends, they buy $100 worth of shares for you. You still owe tax on 100 bucks. Obviously, you've got the, the franken credits as well. So keep that in mind. That's a different thing in the current financial year. Now, obviously, payable at the end of the year, but you know what I mean. Mm. And then, But it's also included then as a purchase at that price of the new shares. So they're just, just doing the trade for you. So rather than giving you the 100 bucks and then you going buying more shares, they're just doing it all for you. But the, the, the tax consequences are the same. Here's income that you Perfect. got and here's the new cost base for the shares you just bought with it. 
Now, Morgan is not on staff, but maybe after this might be. Secondly, I took advantage of the Motley Fool's incredibly cheap ETF investor service <laughs> and want to know what the general advice would be for holdings that don't match what the service recommends. Say I own some other ETFs instead of the ones you recommend. Would you suggest selling the existing holdings and invest in what the service suggests? Or would it be best, particularly from a tax perspective, to simply start investing in those holdings and leave the old ones to build up using dividend reinvesting over time? So that's a really good question. Um, I will say, massive plug up front, uh, fool.com.au slash join-etf-investor. So join ETF investor with dashes between the words, fool.com.au, join ETF investor, 29 bucks, like it's, it, seriously. Um, a couple of coffees. Join ETF investor if you want to invest in ETFs and get some good get some good advice. Um, well, we can't give Morgan specific advice. I'll go first round. I'll, I'll yeah, please. Your thoughts. Um, what we have said with the service is if and when we change our weightings or our recommendations, we're unlikely to recommend our members sell for exactly that reason. These are broad um, ETFs that we've recommended. Unless ETFs themselves suck, uh, having a better idea with, with future investments, we wouldn't recommend people sell and rotate through because there's no point paying tax for the sake of it, um, particularly if the allocations are slightly different or if there's, um, if there's changes to the way that's being done. So generally speaking, for the service itself, if and when we make changes, we'll actually say to members, don't sell. You're, you're investing in passive long-term ETFs. Just divert your new investments to the different ideas. When it comes to what you currently own, it's a really, really good question. Uh, it, it depends on the ETFs you own, honestly. Um, if they are reasonably in keeping with the style and, and the approach we're taking for, for ETF Investor, then I don't really think you need to do much differently. This is, this is broadly right rather than precisely wrong stuff with the ETF service, right? Now, if you owned a cybersecurity ETF, I'm happy to say out loud, that is not one of our recommendations to ETF Investor. And if you said, hey, I like the way you guys invested ETF Investor, uh, what should I do? I, I, we have no thematic ETFs in that, in that ETF uh, service, for example. So I, if you want to follow along and you want to follow along tracking our advice, you're welcome to. Again, you, you can choose not to. If you do, then I, I would probably get rid of the ancillary stuff because I don't mm. think it's certainly not in keeping with the portfolio construction we're looking for. It's not the way we're looking to invest, all that kind of stuff. So uh, in that case, I, I probably would think about it. I can't tell you again what you should do, Morgan. I would think about it. I think it's the right thing to do. But broadly, we're trying to give you a diversified, low-cost ETF exposure uh, in a way you feel comfortable with tracking along and following with. The one thing I would say, uh, whichever decide, decision you make, if you keep the ones you already own, I personally would think about not uh, cancelling the DRP and using the income from those dividends to invest in our better ideas. And again, Morgan, I'm not saying what you should do, but it makes sense, right? We've said before about DRPs, I don't personally love them. I don't use them for my own portfolio because I want to invest in my best ideas rather than just the shares I already own, right? I like them all, otherwise I'd sell them. But if I have 20 com companies in my portfolio, it's very unlikely I would put new money into my 20th best idea. So I don't want a DRP automatically. So if I had ETFs that I currently held, even if I wasn't going to sell them, if I thought there was a better ETF to invest in, having a DRP that invested in the old ETF would be suboptimal. Not a big deal probably. Um, but yeah, if you're not going to sell those old ones and you're welcome to do or not do it, I would personally take cancel the DRP, get the cash paid to my investing savings account, my investment transaction account, and then use that money to buy the new ETFs or the better ideas that I had in future. What do you recommend? Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I, I tend to say of um, newsletter services in general um, that you want to use them, I think you'll agree with this, you want to use them one of two ways. The, the first way is I'm just implicit trust in, in this team and I'm just going to yep. follow what you tell me to do. And that's, that's you know, if, you, if you've got reason to, to have confidence um, mm -hmm. in someone like Scott, well, okay, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Suck each it. to their own. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I mean, I think, but I think that's- mate, a, I'm smart and you're right. Let's, yeah. let's start with that and go from there. Because then you cherry pick. I mean, it's hard to sort of, I mean, you pick any investor or any team of investors, you'll always pick yeah, out some correct. dogs, you know, and you'll also yep. pick out, the, 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 the team's going to always tout their winners, the naysayers are going to tout their losers, and the, both of them are wrong, right? What 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 matters uh, is is the average, and and if that's 100%. what you yep. want, and you think that team can deliver a good average, well, you've got to kind of follow everything they they say. Otherwise, you're not going to get the average, and then any divergence is on you, for better or for worse. I tend to think, though, for for me and probably a lot of people listening, it's just like, look, 
this is a very noisy place. There's 2,000 plus stocks out there. I just need some ideas as to where to start. And that's where I think that newsletters are super valuable, particularly from a trusted team, because it's not, I'm not going to follow anything The Motley Fool says, not because I don't, don't like the team, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I want ownership. I always say it's easy to borrow an idea. It's hard to borrow conviction. Scott Phillips likes this. Okay, great. Oh, something's changed. Oh, what do I do now? Well, I, I don't know what to do now unless Scott says something because the whole investment thesis was Scott said. Do you know what I mean? So I think the better way to do it is go, Scott said that corporate travel is a really interesting business. Okay, well, he seems like a smart guy. I mean, this might be a real. What's he said about it? You don't just, when you guys release recommendations, you don't just say buy. You know, I mean, you, you say, here's what it does. Here's what we like. Yep. Here are the risks. Here's what's about me. You know, there's a whole section of it, right? And, and, like, and that is just a neat, it's such a wonderful hack to be able to just get all the basics sort of ticked off, you know, by, by a team yeah, who does this true. all day, every day. But I really do encourage people to, to take that idea and make it your own. In other words, um, don't be afraid to reject it. No, I disagree with Scott on this one. You're not going to be upset at all yeah. with that. I think you'd probably applaud Correct. that. You and I disagree on a bunch of stuff, and we overlap on a bunch of more yeah, stuff as well. Yeah, 100%. And that, it, it's, all, it's always going to be it's always going to be the case. And I just yeah. think that that's so. In in this particular context, you've signed up for this ETF service. The team's going to give you a bunch of ideas. Read it. See what. See if you agree. Mm-hmm. You know. Do a bit more digging, and then and then make your decision. But the but the but what you're really buying there is an idea generator. To, to my way of thinking, either that or all in wholesale. I made that. That's a that's a look. You know, not a, not just about us, as you say, but about anybody. Yeah. Uh, know know what you're doing. Know what you're doing. How know what you're following. So I, I, got, I know I know a bunch of investors who 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 subscribe to uh, places they don't even really like that much. But they but they they kind of figure yeah. you know for what's a <laughs> right. tax deductible hundred bucks a year. I just yeah, you know what yeah, a, yeah. it just it just puts things on your plate that you might not have mm-hmm. have come across. Yes, we you want, I mean you do it all day every day. And I was just telling you about one of my largest holdings off air. Yeah, like you'd never heard of it before, right? And I had I'm, never ever. Ever, ever heard of it? I was. Isn't that I was a criticism? But why would yeah, you be looking yeah. in that space, right? But right, but, right, yep. But now you know. Now that does that mean you're going to yep. run off and buy it? Probably not. But maybe you'll have a, have look, a look at look it, though. and yes. you know what I mean. Yeah. And that, and that's, yep. that's. I mean, my whole business is predicated exactly on that idea. That's what straw man is. It's just like, hey, here's my portfolio. Here's my ideas. What do you think? And other people share the same, and you you cherry pick, and and mm. and in a in a good way, right? Like you're just applying your own filter to what's appropriate for your circumstances, your way of thinking, and and that is the way to do it. So I flog that horse to death, but yeah, that's what I think. Lovely. Thank you, mate. Kim says, gentlemen, I think I've listened to every episode since around 2018. Well, I made Suck a few mistakes in my investing. I know. Well, I made a few mistakes in my investing journey. I know we would have made a lot more if it wasn't for the approximately 500 hours of sage advice from your soothing voices. <laughs> thank you so much. That's, That's a really cool. Massive problem, Kim, but uh, thank you. Uh, full disclosure this question is about tax minimization. But hopefully it's not too trivial. I think that's pointed at you, Ram. I know you can't give tax advice, and I know it's not the foremost consideration for an investment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I've been pondering this one for a while, and Google hasn't been particularly helpful. So I'm extra keen to hear your thoughts. I'm 33 years old. Not particularly relevant, but I hope you consider this young, Scott. It makes me happy hearing you squirm. Thank you, Kim. Yes, I do hate you, as I hate all of our young listeners. Uh, And my income, lifestyle, and expenses mean I don't really need dividend income, at least not for quite a while. I have around 15 or so stocks, mainly individual ones with a sizable chunk in Berkshire Hathaway and ETFs like the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 ETF. Whilst these ETFs don't pay huge dividends, over time they'll add up as I regularly contribute to them. I was wondering if there was a way for the dividends to be reinvested in the ETF without me receiving it, in air quotes, as income, i.e. are there versions of these ETFs that just reinvest the dividends back into the ETF itself? If not, is there any other method? Whilst it's not the main reason, this is one thing I do love about Berkshire Hathaway. One concept I've heard from you guys and love is the idea that investing is partially about delaying gratification. If I can forego the income now, the value of that income being reinvested without getting hit with income tax would be almost double for me. And as that value compounds over time, it would make a significant difference. Thanks, Kim. Uh, really, really, really great question, Kim. Uh, by the way, Kim finishes, P.S. Kogan, Berkshire Hathaway, Kogan, what does straw man do again? <laughs> Just to prove you've been listening, Kim, well done. Um, Mate, I this is a, I mean, the, I think, Kim, you've, you've highlighted the answer, which is companies that reinvest 
their profits rather than paying out dividends. There is no way of receiving it, you know, having having dividends reinvested without receiving it as income. ETFs can't do that, don't do that. Their structures don't allow it, even if they wanted to. Um, there's two options. Uh, well, one option. Listed investment companies of different sorts. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is one. It's probably the only meaningful listed investment company I know that doesn't pay dividends. Um, most others do because their shells actually want it rather than not wanting it. So it's a, it's a really it's a really significant challenge. I'm not aware of any ETFs that don't. I think because they have to. Uh, I don't. Not even aware of any LOCs, mate. Listed mm. investment companies that don't pay it. Um, I'm pretty sure almost all will or do to one degree or another. Um, if you wanted, yeah, I have no, I have no better answer, honestly. The other, thing, the other thing I would say, Kim, for what it's worth, is, in theory, at least, a company that doesn't pay dividends but reinvests the profit is going to make more money and have a higher share price. And when you pay it eventually, you are going to have a higher capital gains tax bill to pay, kind of by definition, right? Because if you if you keep the money and you, you then your share your company is worth more because you've got more cash. If you invest it and grow your business, then it's worth more, which is a great problem to have. Oh, well, uh, and Kim is I'm right. trying to spot and, the problem here. Yeah. Well, do you, exactly, do you want the alternative? Okay, it, right? Would you like to pay no tax? Well, I guess the, I guess the thing is, if you don't get the dividend now, the company reinvests one hundred percent of it, rather than rather than you reinvesting, yeah, one hundred percent less your tax rate. So yeah. it kind of makes. I, I absolutely understand the question. I love that about Berkshire Hathaway as well. Um, I, I no, I have no answer for you other than speaking of companies we've mentioned a lot. Uh, companies like Sol Pats, for example, might be a good one. They've they've routinely paid a significantly below average dividend. Um, and that's partly because their shareholders want some dividends, but also they keep the difference and, and invest it. So maybe you want to find one with a lower than average dividend yield potentially as one way of maximizing the reinvestment bit or the reinvested bit. Um, more Berkshire might be an option, but you probably follow that already. Um, yeah, no, no, no good option to get around that other than find companies, uh, LICs or otherwise, that just don't pay a dividend and reinvest it for its own sake. But they're really, really rare particularly in Australia, Kim, because of the dividend franking regime, which actually makes those dividends much more attractive than they otherwise might be. So don't lose that either. Um, let's say you're on a 35% tax rate, you're going to get most of that back as a franking credit anyway. So the actual cost to you of receiving that dividend is still relatively small. Mm. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, work too hard to avoid it because um, you get that tax benefit, which is probably going to offset most of the tax you'd pay if you're reinvesting the dividends either automatically or manually. It's probably a worthwhile way to go. Your thoughts, mate? Uh, one other option for companies uh, is buybacks. So that's oh, sorry, you're right. Actually, yes, that, that's, the so they themselves, could, yes, yep. So they could they could buy back their own shares. You don't get any cash, but they're less, your shares own a larger proportion. It's very big in the US, and it's not so big here. Well, that happens. You know, it's, it's not uncommon here, but it's it, it's less of a phenomenon here because of our franking system. Because dividends are just so, so attractive when they when they've got those tax. Uh, credit associated with it. But that buyback's absolutely a way to return money without copying any sort of uh, tax along the way. I would go back a step. Do you have any companies that do it regularly? Yeah, there's a couple and I just- Are there? Okay. Yeah, like, well, there's, but, the, the, but here's the point though, they're always nothing. Mm. Yeah, right. And it, it's so cynical as to be, it's, it's purely a ploy <laughs> on trying to support no. the share price. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I, there, it is- I would so I'll make a couple of big statements here. First, management oh. job is two, twofold, I would say. Really, at the top of these big companies, you've really got two, two main jobs. First is align culture, set the culture of the yep. business, the North Star. Um, but the other is capital management. And, and, and it is surprise. I mean, you can be an incredible operator of a business, mm. but, but, really be, you know, um, but really be poor on, on capital allocation decisions. And when you look at the real successes throughout history, they were all masters of capital. Um, allocation. Mm. What do I mean by that? There's only so much money you have to work with. And there's a couple of options that you have. You can, you can use it to buy more stock or to develop a new product or to move into a different state or to do all kinds of things. And there is a return expectation that you can get a, have against that. Or I can return the money to shareholders. And then when I return the money to shareholders, I can do dividends or I can do buybacks. And there's another lever I can pull, which is I can just leave shareholders out of it for, for a bit, of, a big part of it and just borrow the money off the bank and pay them back. You know, there's all these kinds of mm. these things. In Australia, maybe it's more in some of the areas that I, I uh, lurk around, but you see these companies saying, we're going to do a buyback. And, and A... Your strategy is one of acquisition. Your stated strategy yeah, right. is to acquire more yeah. businesses and yeah. you're giving capital yeah. away and you're borrowing it and raising yeah. it on one hand and, and giving it back on another. It's like a complete 
insane amount of time. Speaking to a fund manager friend of mine the other day, and he was saying it's surprising how often when we ask them, oh, you're doing a buyback, what's your intrinsic value? Mm. And another, what he's getting at here is, the, and Buffett talks a lot about this, the, the only time it makes sense for a company to buy back its own shares is when they're objectively cheap. That's a really great use of capital. Yep. It's really giving shareholders a lot of bang for their buck. If, if a company is trading at 400 times earnings, uh, you know, and, and is growing at 5% annually and you're buying shares back mm. at that level, you're, you're literally torching, not literally, but you're virtually torching shareholder <laughs> capital on fire. But you have these yep. companies that either have no real clear objective uh, uh, um, thought as to what, whether this is a good idea because shares are cheap or not. It's usually a token amount and it's usually at odds with your stated strategy, which is a capital hungry one that requires requires that capital for investment. So I'm pretty skeptical of them as a, as a result. The only time I ever think buyback is, is worthwhile and you've got no better use for the cash, you maybe don't have much of franking balance and your shares are just so dirt cheap. In which case, yeah, yeah, yeah. buy with your ears, pin back. And I will not participate in that buyback. I will I will clutch my shares, <laughs> which are becoming more and more and more valuable. And you're, for every dollar you spend buying back shares, you're able to buy a lot more shares back than you would at double the price. So it just, it, it's a bit hard, a bit abstract, but I, the maths is very powerful. And unfortunately, those, that set of circumstances aren't, aren't as common as you would imagine that they would be for those persecuting. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a bit off, off topic, but the, the other one I'm just going to throw at you, Kim, very quickly to finish off is, and you kind of expect this, I, I don't think tax minimization is silly. I don't think you're wrong to ask yourself about maximizing your after-tax returns. Those things are the right questions to ask. I, I will say, though, for all of that effort, generally speaking, if you find the right company or the right ETF or the right whatever, um, that's going to be a, a more prominent contributor to your overall returns than 100%. whether you had income tax to pay on dividends or capital gains so if you kind of basically what i'm saying here is you know you, you can you can find a, an inferior company not paying dividends or a wonderful company paying large dividends and still growing really quickly and delivering you maximum long-term total returns that yeah given the choice if, if i could have buffett paying a dividend buffett not paying a dividend i'd take the non-dividend bit right for the reason we've just talked about he's at, mm. yeah it's absolutely the right thing to do um, but if Berkshire was going to do worse, for example, than Woolies, which pays a 4%-ish dividend, probably doesn't, probably three, um, then you should buy Woolies shares anyway because overall you're still going to do better even after you've paid that tax. So just remember to maximise your after-tax returns, not just minimise your tax. Um, but it's, it's a perfectly fine question to ask and you're right to, you're right to ask it. Yep. All right. Uh, this question is from Matt. Uh, we can take this as you, as you need to. Dear Scott... Quotes the boring and quote Phillips and Andrew quote it depends and quote Page. Uh, I'm not sure what's the boring bit about. Am I just that boring? <laughs> I think uh, well you do you do, um, I don't know Very if this nice. is the angle here, but no, no I, nice. I I think you you make a very good point that that boring businesses can be beautiful. All right, maybe, maybe that's that. it. All right. let's move on. I'm going to go with that. Firstly, oh here we go. Actually, here we go. Firstly, the boring bit was meant to the, has the highest of compliments. As with investing, boring truly is beautiful. There you oh, go, there you go. Yeah. And seems to win out in the end. And it depends because, well, you know. I don't <laughs> think you two get nearly enough credit for the way you help simple people like me eventually understand how this whole stock market thing works and the way you can explain things so intelligently yet so easily digestible. Is that your cousin, Matt, or my cousin, Matt? I'm not That's sure so nice. Point. Thank oh, you so much. We, that is the highest praise you can, you can have. It is By lovely. the way, oh, can I, tell I, you? I think one of the big, big epiphanies you, you'll, you'll have in your investing journey is there, there are no adults. <laughs> no one knows what's going on. Like you, like, you like to think that, there's, that there is like some, you know. There's uh, no smart money, that's for sure. Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, they're, they're, look, there are degrees. There is obviously some money that's much smarter than others, but there is also, you, you are, I think you, you, you and I have chatted about this previously where it's just like you're surprised at the insanity that goes on from actors that should mm-hmm. ostensibly be, should know better. <laughs> yeah, we talked about Milk Run on Friday, right? Oh, yeah. The VC company were putting $100 million into that and their pitch yeah, deck right. was telling you that they're losing $30 on every order or something, you know, and it's just yeah. like, like yeah. just it's, it's not that you've got to be too critical, as you say, eventing and look after the fact and was it as obvious at the time, but they're just the insanity that, that regularly pervades markets needs mm-hmm. to remind you that actually <laughs> uh, there's not that much. And you know, it, it's not, Munger talks about, it's not about being the, 
the person with 200 IQ points and the best resources. Yeah. It's the person who can do the very basic, simple things when everyone around you is losing your head. That, that's the edge. And, and I think I, for the longest time, felt as though there was some, there's got to be more to it. What else am I missing? Like, no, it's as, it's as basic as it yeah. sounds. You know, they're just yeah. businesses that are broken up into little bits and you can go and meet other people who might give you some for cash and vice versa. And then at the end of the day, if the business goes well and you paid a sensible price, your shares will go well. That's it, right? Like that is it. And then everything is, everything is sort of like the, the, uh, the shades of gray that lie in, which are, which are vast, by the way, of course. And there's a lot of digging in as to what's a good business and what's a good price but you know don't, don't overcomplicate it keep it simple yeah. i don't care whether we're in the top of the macro cycle or the bottom or there's technological disruptions underway that those those fundamental truths will always be true and and uh don't expect there to be a, a layer that you will peel back and there is all this hyper logic mm -hmm. and reason and sensibility and stuff around it. it's just not it's just not there sorry I, uh, mini, mini rant over money. No, so I'm going, to, I'm going to add to it very quickly. But speaking of smart money, um, this is the the AFR. So these, these are the these are the in theory smart people, right? The people who pay, get paid a lot of money to, to make do, do their investing market. Well, they things. do get paid a lot of money, uh, not just in theory. But yes, I hear what you're saying. He, yes, yeah. Here's a quote from the AFR: Talk of $100 oil has been buzzing since the end of last year. But it seems like the can keeps getting kicked down the road. First, some analysts have predicted prices would reach that threshold in the second quarter of 2023. The view got pushed into the second half of the year, and now even some of the bigger balls aren't expecting the magic number to come into play until 2024. Now, these are people whose forecasts would have at the time, both of those times and now, get quoted as, analysts say X mm -hmm. will happen. Mm -hmm. And we go, oh, I guess they should know then. Yep. Uh, look, I'm, I'm absolutely picking on oil. I'm absolutely picking on these analysts. They're not named, which is fine. Pick, so not, pick an asset uh, class, pick an analyst, a forecaster. Totally you know. right. It was just a great example, a great single example of the fact that we think these people know what's going on, uh, and you know we're in the same industry. We are we are in the same roles. If we put our smart suits on and made some of these outlandish forecasts, people would listen to us in the same way. Uh, we're hopefully just humble and hopefully right enough to say actually nobody knows and the whole thing's made up and they're all guessing. No, I, very few people are trying to screw you, right? There's, there's very few people who are out there trying to say I'm going to make up a number on oil that I don't believe in. Just try and get some attention or whatever else. Most are saying, I think this is probably right. Hubris is a much, much bigger issue yeah. than cynicism or fraud. It really, really is. Especially in an industry that's like 80% male, right? Which is the, right. one of our biggest weaknesses. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> gosh. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Everything you say just makes sense, says Matt. I find myself nodding in agreement with just about everything you both rant about. And I really enjoy the trip down the rabbit hole. You have to, I think, to still be listening after this much time. So yeah. thank you. Motley Fool Money is in my top three on the podcast machine. And I've been listening to you legends for around three years now. But not hearing you. Stay with me here. I am 40 years old. I've been dabbling in stocks, brackets, not investing, for almost two years starting with a sort of scattergun approach with 40-ish tiny positions in stocks and ETFs to see what works for me. And I've made all the rookie mistakes, including FOMO, overtrading, collecting specky mining stocks, catching falling knives again and again, using funds that I later had to pull out, but worst of all, not having a structure or plan. Finally, says Matt, I hear you after only three years of listening. After taking a step back and looking at my not yet a portfolio, I only really like about 5% of what I hold. So I'm basically resetting and cutting all the weeds Great, to man. restart. Excellent. Isn't it? I figure I can carry forward a tax loss on these to balance yep. out my future profits. Let's stop there, mate, because we talked about this on Friday about changing your mind, about recognizing what's going on. I'm going to say to Matt very quickly, I don't think I necessarily encourage people to do what you've done, but you've started hopefully relatively small. You've made some mistakes. You've tried some things to find out what works for you. And I think there's a real value in that. So don't give yourself too much of a hard time. Um, I've said many, many times, my first investing was a, a, a mate slash boss at the time who told me to buy MIM when the share price was low and then sell it when it went up and then buy it again that, when it was, was low. Was that Mount Isa Mines? Thing. Or, it was, man. I was yeah, mining back in the day. Yes, I well remember. Yeah. Uh, and it was a, a stupid strategy, but I did it because I thought it was interesting. I bought a whole lot of stuff pre dot com crash no it was super software computer share and some other bits and pieces i don't remember <laughs> what i bought um we've all made those mistakes and there's nothing wrong with that anyone who hasn't made those time. mistakes is a liar frankly or you're about to <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway let's go to matt's now the new plan he said includes a few core etfs probably 
Uh, Vanguard's Australian 300. Uh, give me the codes. I hate stock codes. VAS is the uh, Vanguard ASX Global. Mm. Uh, and FEMX. Do you know what that is? I'm not sure. No. I know what that is. Let me, let me tell you just for the fun of oh, This is real-time research, by the way. It is the Fidelity Global Emerging Markets Fund. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't can't uh, criticize that. All right. Uh, uh, then maybe holding five or six stocks of what I would call the big dum-dums, such as CSL, BHP, West Farmers, Solpats, and possibly one real estate investment trust for about 30% of my portfolio. This should give me some stability and to get my specy fix, I will probably trade ETFs such as gear, gold, etc., with the ten with ten percent ish of my portfolio. The last ten percent or so for just two or three uber risky stocks, so that I don't feel the need to check in daily and can try out this patience thing I hear so much about. <laughs> I know there's no question yet. I just wanted to put something down and get someone to hold me accountable. So I thought of you guys, as I really value your perspective. So in the words of the wise Mr. Page, please poke holes in my ideas <laughs> i will get this restart done well before the end of june so i can sell my bad stock choices before they get spanked down any uh, any lower due to tax loss selling and get back to you in a year's time with an update good stuff uh there's a side note to come up just stop there mate what do you reckon so uh, it sounds like about 60 percent uh 60 percent uh, 50 etfs 30 percent big dum-dum stocks which i like to like that phrase and the 10 percent uh trade and 10 percent specky what do you reckon First off, I just got to make the observation that the day you sell, um, the, the next day they're going <laughs> to rally. Because yeah. Murphy's It's just the universe going to mess with you. And it's probably still the right thing to do. Like they'll end up going down again. But just, you know, you buy, shares fall, you sell, they rot. It's just, it just how it goes. So just be, be, strong. Don't, yeah. don't feel as though, oh, I made a mistake. It's like often, yeah, yeah I think in the fullness of time, these, these, these moves you'll be very grateful for. But just pre- steal yourself for that, that really annoying uh, nature of the universe. <laughs> Um, We touched on this on Friday and I sort of espoused a view where I don't like, I don't like this idea of core and satellite and specky. Mm. Just to me, every dollar is precious and I want to, I want to invest sensibly with all of it. It's all core. Mm. Now, Mm. some people might look at my portfolio and go, really? That's core? Well, it is for me, right? It's core to my strategy, my approach, how I like to do things. Not so there's nothing in there that I would say is speculative. I would say that there's mm-hmm. businesses in there that are smaller and riskier than a lot of other businesses, but it's, I'd like to think it's a, a reasonably, we, we have to be honest with ourselves too. We, we cannot hide from the fact that we are also in the forecasting game. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're just forecasting what a business is likely to do and you know, ultimately how a market might sort of value that kind of, you can't get away from it, right? So we're gonna make mm. um, a bunch of mistakes and, and all of that kind of stuff, but, but as soon as you label something my specky basket, you're just giving yourself permission to do dumb things on it. And it's like, it's okay. It's just like, no, that's yeah. that's yeah. fine. But I mean, 10% of your investable capital, like I yeah. really get, I, re- I mean, it, I get that some people just like to bet on the football and the poker machines or on stocks. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Whatever yeah. fun you're going to have doing that, you will have with a thousand bucks as much as you will as with, you know, 50 grand or something like that. Mm-hmm. 50 grand. I mean, look, everyone's in a different situation for me. 50 grand is a huge amount of money. And there is no, even if that was represented just 5% of my portfolio, do I, am I going to go to the casino with 50 yeah. grand? No, but that's what right? I'm doing exactly. with, exactly. with shares, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so, well, if, if I am just like, oh, it's a complete Hail Mary punt, two cent stock that might invent the <laughs> world's best computer chip or something, you know, it, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's just, don't do it. Don't do it. Treat it all as core, all as core. And, and the other element I would say is, don't think that just because things are big and in the top 200, they're cool. You actually list a bunch of really excellent companies. So I'm not having a go at specifically, but too often I've seen people say, oh, it's pays a dividend. It's a very big company. You know, like I'll use my favorite whipping Everyone boy. Knows it. AMP, yeah, right? Or, or something, yeah, you know, yeah, they, or, or Telstra. Or just, there's, there's plenty of big quote unquote blue chip companies that are just, pardon the French, crap, just awful businesses. Yes. They're just, they are just bloated. They just, they are, they are. I think you'll find the French is le crap. Le crap, you know? No, do they make money? Yes. Will they be around in the future? Yes. Yeah. Are the economics yeah. great? No. Is there any real growth there? Not really. Is the price sort of reflective of that? No. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it just, yeah. yeah so, so I, I again, when, off air when we were chatting before i i said that i i would put my stocks against a good chunk of the asx 100 Mm. and say they're higher quality Mm. businesses if i could just own a business outright 
I would far prefer that than a lot of stuff that's in in the ASX 100, even though it's like 10, 20 times bigger than the stocks I'm holding and they are well past the point of profitability and all of that kind of stuff. I just, they're just objectively, I think when you sort of look at them, they're not good. So, so be careful with, too often in our industry, these labels get applied and I just don't think they, they make sense. The lowest risk investment is the one that you understand the most. Nothing to do with volatility, like nothing that. to do with market yep. cap, nothing yep. to do with liquidity. Risk is risk. Here's the, the obligatory Buffett quote: "Risk comes from <laughs> not knowing what you're doing." What you're doing, well, right? Then. That's <laughs> that's what risk is. And, and yeah. to some extent, we're all making it up, right? Like again, I'll go back to my previous yep. points. But you can. There is a very long spectrum as to how intelligently you can approach that. You can approach it from made at the pub. Or the taxi driver told me this was great. All the way through that, I've read every annual report over the last ten years, every presentation, dialed into the calls, modelled out the business. You know, you, you can go you can go way into the weeds if you want. Uh, I'm not saying you need to be right at the extreme end of that spectrum, but the further you are towards that, heard it from a mate at the pub. The you know I don't care what the market size or liquidity or whether there's a dividend. I mean you 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 are you are, you are gambling pure and simple, and with gambling um, the house tends to win in the end. Yep, I think that's I think that's a great answer, mate. I yeah com- completely agree with. That. The only thing I would say is know yourself, as you've said many times. Mm-hmm. If Matt needs to do that, then ten percent is better than twenty percent, twenty seven percent, and thirty. Yeah, sure, sure. So you know, if if you Matt, if you can't not do it, then I guess that's fine. Um, the real, I wouldn't trade ETFs, mate. Uh, I don't trade ETFs. I've never traded ETFs. Uh, if you tr- here's the thing about trading is you're trying to guess the short term direction of something, betting against other people who are trying to do the same thing, and unless you know you're better than them, there's a chance they're better than you. Google Google it, Keynesian yeah. beauty contest. There you go. So I, the great thing with share, what I love about shares, and, and for it's worth property and other things, is share, for, for, since, since the dawn of the share market, listed companies have made more money over time. There is a positive, we talk about expected value, there's a positive expected value on the market. That's why ETFs are great, right? They'll yeah. probably go up over time. So the longer you hold them and leave them alone, as long as you bought reasonable companies, diversified, decent prices, all that stuff, they'll probably go, profits will almost certainly go up over time, uh, with, with some pullbacks from time to time, but you know, go up over time. Share prices will probably go up over time on average. Trading is the opposite of that. Trading is giving that up and saying, over the next one, two, three, four, five months, I'm going to bet that I can guess the direction of something more than the other person who I'm buying or selling this from or to. And, mate, knock yourself out if you genuinely have it. And this is what we said about the, the expected value stuff on Friday. If you have a really genuine proven reason to believe you're better at this than somebody else, and then, then everyone else, the, the guy on the other side of the trade, then go for it. If you don't have a genuine reason to believe you're better at this than they, they are, you've got no business doing it. In my humble opinion, matter, I don't mean to sound critical about it, I have no business doing it, right? I don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen with the gear ETF or the gold ETF for the next one, three, six, 12 months. I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. So I have no, I have no business trying to guess, bet on where that direction would be. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm blindfolded, right? There's no, no, reason, no point doing it, no reason to do it, and no reason to waste 10% of my portfolio trying. Personally, same with the risky stocks, um, same thing. Uh, you know, maybe they go up, maybe they don't. Uh, you know, if you wouldn't go and bet 10 your portfolio up the track, then I wouldn't do it on shares. So yeah. the good uh, thing is, but, the but, good, oh, yeah. sorry, mate. I'm oh, sorry. Go on. No, go. I was, I was, I was just going to say the good thing about it is it, this, it, to, to really hammer home your point. If you know yourself and you know that you need to do this, and that's not a criticism. Yeah. Like I like playing poker yes. with my mates. I gamble, you know, I, I buy lottery yep. tickets, believe it or not, you know. Yep. Yep. I, so I, do. I do too. Have fun, have fun. Um, and the great thing about that is, is it, it will, it will, prevent you from doing it where you definitely shouldn't be doing it, which is the, mo- the most yeah. of, of your capital. Yeah, so if, if it, if it, yes, that's what if it saves point. you yeah. from yourself, yeah. it yeah. could. I would just yeah. make the point that that itch will, will – you don't need to be a 10% of your investment. Well, I mean, it depends on the kinds of money that we're talking about here, but it doesn't need yeah. to be a substantial yeah. part of your just wealth to scratch that itch. You can have the fun. Like if you, I always say this, always the madness of pokey machines, right, is that yeah. whatever joy people get out of those damn things – I imagine, you know, really, like, do I need to do I need to bet a hundred dollars a spin, or can I do a cent a spin? Like, it's still still right. getting the same flashy. Like, you know, people say, yeah, but it's the thrill of being able to win substantial amounts and more. But as I just, 
I, I kind of, I kind of think if if you're gonna do that, then that's by the way how I would fix pokey machines. I would just like go nuts. Anyone can have them; they're everywhere. It's just a one cent yeah. per spin. If yeah. someone wants to sit there, and do a, you'll have all yeah, of the fun of quote unquote gaming, but you can't yeah. like put your entire paycheck and family savings into it. That, yeah. That'll kind of fix itself. Everyone gets to gamble, and yet no one gets to lose their shirt. So well, anyway. one cent a spin, and you got to wait for five seconds between spins. Yeah, man, go nuts. Sit there. I'll probably yeah. sit sit at a pub and slap away, and while I drink a beer, and hey, hey, one, yeah. one, three. Bucks. You know, it's yeah, fun. You know, exactly. I, I get it. I get it. Anyway, sorry, man, um, I cut you off. No, perfect. No, no, perfect. I think I think we're done. Um, so I, <laughs> I just just um, a side note. I have a one and three year old daughter. This is Matt again. And I started to buy one share in Qual. I assume it's a quality ETF per month. As they probably uh, uh, one share in Qual per month, they age. And I tell you, their portfolios are smashing mine. Well, there might be something to that. My question is, if I'm to start dollar cost averaging into the aforementioned ETFs, is it better to set a monthly order at the start, middle or end of the month? I know I'm just feeling around the edges, but is there any benefit? I'm going to say a very quick no. Do you have any different views, mate? In terms of the frequency? Well, no, whether it's whether the order is placed at the beginning, middle or the end of any given month. Oh, no. 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 Oh, and the other two podcasts in my top three are The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Oh, there you go. Good Oil with Scott Phillips and one other. Keep up the great work, you straw fools or motley men, you can decide. Kind <laughs> regards and keep up the great work. You guys could charge anything you want for your podcast and they would still be a screaming bargain. But being the tight ass I am, I'm really glad they're free. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That's great. All right. On one from Colin, who's dear Scott and what's his name again? The, the straw man boss? Question for the pod. I've been a fool for almost a decade. I've been listening to the pod machine. Another one for the pod machine, Andrew. Since Andrew was just a twig on a scarecrow, giving me my first spiffy pop monster, Altium. That was a recommendation of yours, was it? Yeah, that was. Uh, what, well God, I wish I kept mine. He, he, here's a there. <laughs> there are so many lessons in investing. Um, okay. uh, this this was a, this is this is my favorite. Sorry for the very very quick detour here, but I have done this on a number of occasions where I bought a company for the right reasons, the right yeah. thesis, and for whatever luck, and it was entirely luck. Very quickly, the market caught on to it, and shares went up significantly in that short amount of time. And I thought I'm a genius, and I sold. And that they are the biggest regrets that haunt me to this day. Yeah, it's not yeah, the money that yeah. I've lost. I've lost 50% on umpteen positions, you know, before. And that kind of yeah, sucks. Yeah. It's the ones that get away that get you. And 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 why did I do that? Because I, I, I started with an investment and then I started speculating on price. Oh, it's gone up too much. The market will come. You know, it just creeps into you. What a mistake. And Altium is another classic example. If I had just never sold that. Uh, I'd be worth a lot more than I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all, mate? And then, I and then, and then you, nice. and then you sell out, and then you continue to watch it go up. And again, not just because the share price is going, the business just it's just doing doing wonderful things. The business, and it continues to execute. And it's just great. And then you go, oh, well, I can't buy now because I feel as though it's like <laughs> too late, yeah. it's too late. Yeah. And you just, yeah. the amount the amount of behavioural biases that plague me uh-huh. is one thing, but plaguing me while I'm fully conscious and aware of them is what really rubs salt into the, because I know what's happening, you know, like yes, I'm doing true. this. Am I doing this? I am. Am I making this? Like, here we go. We sit on our little pedestal here on the pod. Say, oh, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and make sure. <laughs> so, and then you, and then you, and then you, you know, we log off, we go back to our own little worlds. And then I think, hmm, I wonder if that's going to get a little bit cheap. Just, it's, it, I'm just being honest, right? Because it just, it creeps. Yeah, yeah. It is so, again, pernicious is the best term for it, right? Like it just, anyway, I'll make that yeah. point. We're all human. We are, we are indeed. Uh, so what was it on the Spiffy Pop? A Spiffy Pop, by the way, is a stock that goes up in a day by more than the price you paid for it. Not very common, so but when they do happen, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, um, once they, uh, by the way, once they start happening, they happen all yeah. the yeah, time. That's right. can, I, can I boast for a second? Yeah, go on. I've had a triple Spiffy Pop before. Oh, In other nice. words, the one-day increase in share price was three times more than my – Purchase price. And it happened because the Spiffy Pop, like the first time it happens, um, this is with Prometicus, no surprises. Um, And, you know, I bought it at 85 cents the first lot. So when it gets to, you know, 60 odd bucks a day, it's not not hard for that to go up 80 cents in a day. So you sort of had that first one and then it's like, and then it's like, I'm just, Spiffy pops down, spiff, uh, you know, and up and down, and all, yeah. and then it Spiffy just drop. Yeah, yeah, the way the way the maths works is it becomes extremely uh, uh, common, but rare, but really nice. And to come back to my earlier point, 
you just don't get that by locking in the short-term profits that might think you're smart at 50% in six months or so, you know. No, I want exactly. I want the thing that yeah. in five or 10 yeah. years is spiffy popping every single day. Like that's yeah. that's what I'm here for. I love it, mate. I love it. It's definitely worth uh, definitely worth growing. Uh, so look, yes, back to Colin. Colin says, um, needless to say, I am, insert gratuitous compliments here. Hey, Colin, <laughs> come on, make an effort, mate. I mean, you know, I appreciate you letting me Listen, fill in the blank. You have trained the listeners. The least you could do. You have trained the listeners <laughs> to, because I'm sure you gravitate towards the nice questions. And so they, they, they know that if they want their question answered, they've got to like <laughs> drip it with praise. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one hundred percent correct. By the way, I've never ever filtered it out. Based Sorry, on not filtered but, out, uh, but, yeah, you... but just 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 so people know. Yes, no, that's yeah. fair. Uh, but yeah, you could have at least made an effort. Can I say, speaking of conditioning, Ram, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite. One of the the, the the prime example of Pavlovian conditioning is thinking about the word dogs. Is that great? Wait a sec. Pavlov's dogs. Pavlov's dog. Get the whole so Pavlovian Pavlov dogs. You think about Pavlov's dogs. That's the whole Pavlovian conditioning thing. <sighs> Yes. <laughs> right, moving on. You broke. No, you broke <laughs> my brain a little bit there. That's all. I just like <laughs> failed to compute for a second. Your like rants it. and tangents, says Colin, are a masterclass in investment. Sometimes I even learn from the actual topic of the podcast. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm a long-term investor, and as such, I am trading with a myopic fund managers who are unable, unwilling, or not incentivized to hold for long. However, as you often state, these people have a wealth of knowledge and technology which I cannot ever compete against. Their buy and then sell, or perhaps the opposite, makes them, their bosses, and their customers reasonably happy. But these people are on the other side of my buyers. So here are my questions. Who are these well-sourced traders? How long does the average fund manager hold shares? Do any of them buy and hold even the best companies? What prompts them to buy and sell? Is it just short-term company forecasts, macro fears, excitement, or the sales expectations for the next six months? I need to understand more, says Colin, because if I'm taking the contra opinion, I need to know that I'm not the patsy in the trade and that I have just longer term goals than they are able to have. Thanks for your thoughts. Full on and keep examining the man of straw, Colin. That's a very, very, very good. Uh, by the way, uh, Colin has a fool in his, uh, in his email address. I won't obviously read it out, but I like it, Colin. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, made lots of questions there. I am going to start with an answer and then I'm going to throw you for the questions. Um, I think the first thing you identified, Colin, is time frame. And so while we will talk about the questions that you've asked for, uh, most of the answer between the two is just you, are, you and I work on different time frames to most fund managers who have quarterly and half yearly numbers. And so what, what's different? Uh, you, if you're taking the contra opinion, uh, yes, the answer is absolutely, as you suggest, you have longer term goals and they're able to have. We can live through. Now, frankly, I work for the Motley Four, right? We make stock recommendations and our members are very unhappy when they go down, <laughs> even in the short term. And if they go up quickly enough, they say, oh, you last, I've had, I would say three times, I can distinctly recall in the last decade, where I've had a member who said, look at your last 12, 12 stock period, 10 of them are down. You guys, you've lost your touch or you're not very good at this or it must've been luck the last time. And then when they go better, no one says, hey, you guys are geniuses that have all gone up. And again, it's not to, not to brag, right? It's not, not to brag at all. Yeah. Um, my, my key point of all, out of all of that was just to say that there are times when just things suck and go against you. And if I had to, if I had to produce a, 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 a three, three monthly, quarterly or half yearly report of what the portfolio in that period of time, some of those times would be terrible, right? I'm not hiding from that. That's, that's a feature, not a bug. Because we invest and we recommend our members invest as long-term investors. We don't try to play the three-month, six-month game. But honestly, Colin, the, the biggest part of the answer is exactly what you just have uh, assumed. So let's go through Let's go through the question and you can jump on some other ones. Who are these well-sourced traders? Uh, it, 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 <laughs> faceless masses and all of them in different and unique ways. Who knows? Like, cool. you know, I, 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 here's the thing, like even with fund managers, right? Like we, we like to sort of give them a hard time. There's some brilliant fund managers out there. Like they're yep. just phenomenal yep. investors. Um, and, and, you know, they're, I personally know fund managers who are just like diametrically different in their approach and they're both good. They're just different, right? So it's sort of, yeah. there's not one consensus on the other side there. There's even within this so-called professional class, there's huge diversity in approach and strategy and time frame and, and the rest of it. I would, I would say, I wouldn't think the mass and the evidence will tell you the average isn't, isn't mm, covering yeah. the, the industry in glory. But but there are there are some interesting edge cases, <laughs> definitely. So I, I don't know and I don't I don't care. Cool. 
Uh, yeah, I can't remember much to that other than to say they are smart people. Don't assume they know more than you. You don't have to compete against their technology because technology only helps you if you try and trade short term. Mm. There's no technology that t- helps you over multiple years, right? It's not, it's not a technology game. Can I clarify uh, a point? I need to clarify yeah, a point I just made. When I say I don't care, I very much care about what the bear case is. Like, I, I definitely want yeah, to right. know what, what then Charlie Munger, again, I'm quoting <laughs> him a lot today, but you know, he says, you've got to understand the bear case better than the bears for anything that you hold. You need to be aware of it. So I'm not saying I don't care or whatever. No, I definitely care where I could be yeah. wrong. But, but whatever, all I need to know is once I've decided to buy something, is it available at a price that I want? Yes or no? Yes, it is. Great, I'll buy. If not, no, I'll wait. And that, that, that's as simple. Because it's not that it wouldn't be nice to know, but you can't know. So it's kind of, it's sort of like a, a, a mute point. So that, that, when I say I don't yeah. care, that's why I don't care. Nice. I like it. I like it. Uh, the next question was, how long does the average fund manager hold shares? No, it's different again because um, mm. they're, all, they're all different. But I would say on average, and this is more anecdotal than I've got no hard data to back this up, mm. but I would, I would say you'd struggle to see too many investors that uh, fund managers that have like positions they've held for like five years in, the, in their fund. They'll, they'll, again, yeah. there'll be exceptions. There'll be exceptions, but I imagine for the very big sort of, you know, not, you know, the ones that people will know, I, I'm, I'm sure that they don't. Here's the, and this is your point really, I guess, is that you're playing a different game, but like you've got the edge. So what it's called, it's called the institutional imperative and it's a really diabolically um, big challenge because they are, whether they're, I mean, you could you could be a really smart fund manager who's buying a bunch of stuff, and let's say in ten years' time that's all going to be up ten x, like it's just going to do really well. But but you you're managing your business on fund flows, people putting money into the fund and taking it out. You have a bad quarter and everyone exits. Doesn't matter how right you were or what your thesis was. It was just you you are competing against uh, that. So you you unintentionally, but you shift towards shorter and shorter and shorter timeframes. And this is really, to my humble opinion, the last remaining true edge for the quote unquote retail investor is, is one of time timeframe preference. Yeah. Um, lower your time priority, right? And, and if, you, if you, you, are, you are competing quote unquote against this quote unquote smart money, but you're playing a different, you're, you're, you're both playing different games. One, one of them, they're, they're, they're running sprints, you're running a marathon. And and whatever whatever whoever's in front after the first you know two hundred meters kind of doesn't matter. It's worth saying too, by the way, mate. The uh, the person who wins the marathon isn't the one who does four hundred and twenty hundred meter sprints. Yes. So there, there's I think your analysis your, your metaphor is a very very good one for for both those reasons. Different games, but also remember, investing is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. So if you're competing against sprinters and you're a marathon runner, you're probably in a pretty good position. I think. Yeah. Um, I saw some numbers. The average turnover in the US in 2019 was 63%. So effectively, an entire portfolio gets turned over every 18 months. Wow. An entire portfolio. That's not, that's not some stocks are 18 month holds. The entire portfolio, on average, gets turned over every 18 months. Yep. Uh, do any of them buy and hold the same, even the best companies? Yes, some do. Uh, the, the, the edge case, as Andrew says, uh, we both know people, work with people who are very good uh, at, at doing this. They're just unusual. And frankly, the risk for them is that I just mentioned ShareAdvisor before, the service I run. If fund managers ran their funds away around share of us, they'd have serious issues with keeping people invested because mm. their customers also are conditioned to want short-term performance. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to be a fund manager with a long-term perspective because your customers... Look at Magellan's fund flows. Yeah. Magellan has had a Classic tough couple example. of years yep. and people are abandoning them out a million miles an hour. Now, maybe they're never worth investing with. Maybe they, are, they have suddenly got worse than normal or maybe they're fund investors are just even less patient than they are. So we bag fund managers. They've, they've created their own, by the way, you know, the, the, you know what do they say? You, um, you make your bed, you lie in it. They, mm. they've, they've created an expectation among fund investors that they can get good short-term returns. So what happens? They chase the short-term returns. We know the average fund does worse than the market and the average fund investor does worse than the average fund because they chop and change chasing performance. So uh, I have not, I, I, I won't say I'm going to defend those fund managers, but there's a reality of the, 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 the business they've chosen and they've created and the incentives and the um, expectations they've created have exactly caused this sort of problem. Well, Last one, which mate, which is why, can I just okay. say, which is why you, well, uh, um, you may not have heard the term, but it's called index hugging. And it's very common amongst big funds. Because well, what it does is when it's it, it basically it's it's well let's just have an ETF 
but we'll have a slightly different weighting. So you've pretty much, whatever's in the A6200, we've got it. You know, BHP yeah. might be 4% in the actual one. We maybe are a little bit more bullish on materials, so we'll, we'll be 5%, something like that. Now, you're never, by definition, going to like massively outperform, but you're never going to massively underperform either. Yeah. And when the when you're having a bad year, it's probably because the market in general is having a bad year. So is that a very desire? I mean, think about the pitch to investors. Like we're just going to slightly yeah, do a little bit different than the <laughs> index, we but we're going to charge you a lot yep. more for it. And by the way, the index tends to be to be pretty good. But there's there's old generals, there's bold generals, there's no old bold generals, right? And that's awesome. that is that is absolutely the case when it comes to fund managers. And they in their own again, it's not necessarily a nefarious thing, but in their own best interests, what do you want to be? Do you want to like really go for it, shoot the lights out, and be the next hero, uh, or more likely just get blown up along the way, or or just just in like just hug the index yep. and yep. collect the paycheck and just do that for 20 years you know like it, the, the, the incentives are everything and that's the incentive not designed but the way that they've evolved that's the incentive in the, in the industry yeah let's um let, let's just i answer colin's last question before we finish up uh, what prompts them to sell or buy is it just company short-term forecast macro fears or excitement or the sales expectations for the next six months ah, again all the above you know, they read a bad report. They had a nightmare. You know, I'd, anything. They found a better opportunity. Yeah. Who knows? Start with, start with the start with the aim, Colin, and work backwards. So, uh, if if your job is to deliver a good six month performance, then what do you attempt to do? You're tempted to try and guess what shares might do best over the next six months. And if you do that, then you're tempted to try and make guesses, and then around and around you go, and you find different ways to try and convince yourself you can answer that question. So, to Andrew's point is all the above, but their main aim is. Okay, I've got six months to demonstrate to my boss and to my fund investors that I should be kept on. So I need to try and beat the market over six months and I have to go and try and find ways to beat the market over six months. And so I'm going to say, well, what can I do with that? And the answer is almost going to be, mm. you know, I'm going to try. You mentioned the Keynesian Beauty Contest, Ram. Uh, it's part of that. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, everyone seems to like Afterpay right now. I'm going to buy some because I think the shares will probably keep going up. Mm. Or... I think the economy is maybe, maybe things would go a bit worse in the next six months, so I might get out of so-called cyclical stocks. Mm. Or you know, you, you try and find, and it's not again unreasonable given the incentives and given the. Yeah, if someone said to me, I had to pick stocks that might go well in the next six months only. So by this time in six months' time, which ones would I choose? I would start thinking the same way they are, which is first. I mean, firstly, I would say I don't know and I wouldn't do it. But gun to the head, you say, well, I guess I. Maybe I should try and work out what, what people like now, what they're going to like more of in six months' time. I'm going yep. to work out what the economy might do between now and then. I'm going to find ways to try and convince myself that I know the answer or can work out the answers so that I can do what I'm uh, what I'm tasked to do, yep. which is get good performance over really short time frames. Yep. yep. I mean, this is an unrelated point, but it's I'll make it because it reminded me of it. Is the This is why I hate the ASX share market game. Because yes. the yeah. if you want to win that thing, I mean, the person who wins it is just the ones who takes the biggest the boldest bet and statistically someone's going to that's the person who's going to win now they won't be able to do it again and again and again but they will get reward they are the better investor by definition of winning the game and it's just like it it, it incentivizes the exact wrong behavior there'll be someone within that stock market game who's built a very robust sensible long-term portfolio that just maybe didn't do quite as well well by definition is not going to do as well as the as the ones that happen to be on the extreme end end of the bell curve for that particular six-month period so you're guaranteed you are guaranteed to lose or at best do mediocre with that strategy Mm -hmm. So, so what yeah. strategy are you going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for the flyer because it's the only chance. I don't. I, I might not win. It's a gamble, but it's the only way to win. That, that's if that's if there's no downside. If there is downside of losing your job, you're going to index. I can. We're back to that same. Oh, yeah, exactly. Of yes. How do you how do you try and make this work? My, uh, we'll finish off. My nephew asked me literally on uh, over Easter, uh, Uncle Scott. I've uh, we've got to do the share market game at school. How, what should I what should I do? How should I do it? And I didn't know how to answer him because. We know you and I know the answer when there's no downside and there's only upside. Death or glory. Death means nothing. Glory means you, you, yeah. know, you win. Yeah. But but I also, as the guy who they kind of listen to and want to help them invest, I'm like, I don't know if I want to tell you that's how you win this game because yeah. th- that's a really really crappy lesson to lesson in air quotes to learn yep. about what what good investing is, right? Because winning the share market game has nothing to do with winning and investing over the long term. They yeah. are they are entirely entirely different things. We have um we've got performance 
uh, tracking on Strawman for our members, so you right. can look up what your performance has been three, six months. No one takes it seriously. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I mean, we measure it because it's there to be measured. We've got the data, but yeah. but I don't. Yeah, I, right. I think people naturally go, no, I want to see this since inception, and it's more the yes, people yes. who have gotten good returns over multi-year periods that you know, and that, yeah. that is just sort of sensible. So I just such a shame. Like someone, some point in time, had this idea of we really should encourage and teach investing. Like I am fully on board with that. Yeah. And yep. and this perversity of, I don't know, it's just come out where it's like, actually we are teaching all the wrong lessons. Kids come away from that thinking that it's all a gamble and they're right by, by, by what they've been taught. Yeah, right. Gosh, it's a let tragedy. Me, let me quickly too, um, just give a, a quick shout out to Pearl. I know I do it semi-regularly. Again, I have no dog in the fight at all, but I like what they're doing. Their, their performance is just all-time tracking. Yeah, the, the graph you see when you log in is just what's happened since you opened your account. Yep. No, you know you can you can choose other time frames if you want. I, I would discourage it, but you can. Uh, but that that idea of just starting from here and here's where we're going and that's what we're doing. Just to, here's here's the long term story. It's yep. it's a nice reminder as a default. Uh, rather, what have my share price done in the last five minutes today, last week, last month, last whatever? It's like, well, how am I going over over long periods of time? Because that's gonna that's more like the longer the time period, the more likely the the result is going to be representative of the ability of the fund manager, stock picker, yourself, market, investing generally, all those things. Yeah. Yep. Well said. All right, that'll do us, mate. Yeah. Yep. I think we're done. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. If you want your question answered, hit us up, info at fool.com.au. Follow us on all the socials. Andrew is exclusively still on this new business called X, apparently, because Elon Musk has merged Twitter with X Holdings. So uh, make of that what you will. Probably nothing. Uh, but you can follow Andrew on Twitter, slash X, slash Doge, as the logo was changed to, because Elon oh, is a don't get me boy. started. You can go to uh, at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest if you want to follow me on Twitter or Insta. The handles are the same at TMF Scott P and the Motley Fool is at the Motley Fool AU or jump on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. And until next week, next Friday, will you join me on Friday, Andrew? I will. Try and stop me. I'm glad. In the meantime, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.